Well, my brothers and sisters, I gather with you here. And this is an exciting time. We're going to reflect a little bit on the gift of the family. And I'm just going to read to you a little bit. And, and we're going to reflect on the role of mothers, the role of fathers, the role of children in a family. John Paul II said that the family is the fundamental cell of society. Very simple, very basic, nothing new under the sun. And I think it's good to just think about what does God say about the family? God is a family. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, one God. And so we were creating the image and likeness of God. And that's something to be excited about because God's calling us to greatness. He's calling you and I to greatness. He's calling us to make Him visible in this world. And we do that through our masculinity and femininity. We make God visible. We make this communion of persons visible in the world by the way we live out our masculinity and live out our femininity as male and female, as man and woman, as husband and wife, as father and mother. And so it's that union and communion of male and female that brings forth the third, the fourth, the fifth, the children. It becomes a communion of persons. And so again, remember, the Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that you and I were made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. What does that mean? That means, again, that you and I have an intellect, meaning we are thinking persons. We can think. We can Then with our will, we can choose. We can think and we can choose. The proper object of the intellect is truth. The proper object of the will is good. So we can think. We can analyze. We can reflect. We can make sense of the material world. We can begin to discover God's voice as He speaks speaks through his created design and order. And so, as a man or as a woman, when we look at the male and female body, we see the obvious. We see, within sexual complementarity, a call to communion. We see a call to communion. And that call to communion is a part of God's plan because, see, God in that communion of love is inviting us to be participants in revealing him to the world. So, what you might say is as our sexuality goes, so will go our marriages. As our marriages go, so will go our families. As our families go, so will go the world. So the way the world looks is the way the family looks. And the way the family looks is the way marriages looks. And the way marriage looks is the way male and female look at each other and reverence or respect each other or disrespect each other. So if male and female disrespect each other and don't understand that beautiful plan of, of life and love that got stamped into the body, then male and female will use, misuse, and abuse that gift, that sacred gift of our sexuality, and then that will spill over into marriage, and that will spill over into the family, that will spill over into the world. And this isn't rocket science. We see this all throughout right now. We are in a time of spiritual warfare. Do you agree? I agree. I think we are in a battle right now. We're in a battle. Why? Because... We're not against flesh and blood. This isn't a battle against male and female or a man competing with a woman, a woman competing with a man, or one being better than the other. It's, it's embracing the truth that God has given to us as male and female in humility and in reverence of the great plan and the great mystery that God stamped right into our bodies. So think about that. We might call this contemplation. It's a big word just simply means using our intellect to reflect on the created order 
reflecting on the created design, and then using my will to properly act upon creation with a respectful, reverent action, not disrespectful. We're not created to take, to use, misuse and abuse persons. You use things, not people. You love people and you use things. Today we use people and love things. We got it backwards. So this is an important time to reflect on the heart of our existence, meaning God made us male and female in His image and likeness. What does it mean for a woman to live out her vocation and her womanhood? What does it mean for a man to live out his vocation to manhood? What does it mean for a child in a family to live out their childhood? And so again, these are great questions. Um, there's nothing again new under the sun. But I think when we live in a very disobedient and dark time where I decide what I think is right and wrong rather than letting God decide what's right and wrong, then you have a lot of confusion because you've got a bunch of gods, don't we? We've got everybody's their own God deciding what they think should be right or they think should be wrong. And then you've got what we call moral relativism. You've got this, this uh, tyranny of moral relativism, this dictatorship of relativism, which basically squashes the creativity, the beauty, and the truth that God desires for each of us as male and female. So, let's get to it. If we look at the role of mothers, first of all, um, mothers are called to the development and the protection of society. And I think we live in a time where Mothers are no longer honored, where uh, uh, to be a mom or to be a woman is to be someone that should have a career first, to be career-oriented rather than child-oriented or husband-oriented or directed toward the service of the family. And sometimes, because of your, the, the mom being a single mother, she has to work. But there's a difference between working to put the necessities of food clothing and shelter on our children, as opposed to working to attain greater worldly um, pleasure, greater worldly possessions. And so that's, a, that's an area of discernment where a woman has to clearly, honestly come before God and ask Him, Lord, I have to work, that's true. you got to work and put food on the table and clothes on your children and, and a, a, a shelter over their head. Yes. But do I really need to be working as much as I'm working? Do I really need the job that I have? Or, Lord, will you provide another job that will let me be with my primary treasure in life, which is my children? See, children don't really care what kind of house they grow up in, meaning they don't need 15 rooms. They don't need expensive cars. A child, when it's born, just simply wants the mother to be held by the mother, to be loved by the mother. And so children don't really require much as far as the material possessions go. They don't require much as far as clothing. Um, they don't require much, you know, as far as food. Just, you know, they need the basic food, right? So I think it's we who kind of create a lot of um, hectic, uh, business-like, stress-filled, anxiousness um, in the home. Adults bring that into the home, not the kids. If we would just surrender to the beautiful gift of the child's heart, we would be much freer. 
doesn't Jesus say, unless you turn and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have to have a conversion. Our brothers and sisters, we need to learn from the little ones, from the children. You know, just a little footnote to all this, it's no wonder then why children are often attacked as inconveniences. Um, where society begins to develop a mindset that the child gets in the way of my lifestyle, of my freedom, of my making my choices, of my job, of, of my happiness. Children become an obstacle, which is a, a, a very empty lie of, this, of the enemy, of Satan himself. Because children are our invitation as adults back into the kingdom. We've got to learn from the children how to live in the freedom of God's love. They're closer to God than we are, yet we have abortion today. So you might ask, well, where does abortion come from? Well, if you look at the Bible and you look at Herod, Herod was threatened by the child Jesus, and he attacked every firstborn male. He attacked all of the male children. He attacked all those, I think it was age two and under. He attacked them. Why? Because he was threatened. His power was a threat. So children do threaten the Herod in us. Children do threaten the worldly ruler in us, the, the selfish, um, self-focused, egotistical self. Yes, the children do threaten that part of us, but that part needs to be threatened, and that part of us ultimately needs to die with Christ crucified. That's why Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Take up your cross, Jesus says, and follow him. Meaning what? Meaning, love your children. Spend your life on them. Give yourself for them. Serve the least among you. What you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, Jesus says, you do unto me. The least among us are the most vulnerable. The most vulnerable are those in the womb. And so, we have a lot backwards today. And there's this momentous movement today to legalize and to make permissible reckless sexual behavior, which is then leading to a lot of abortions and STDs and all kind of misuse and abuse of males and females and children. And so it has to stop somewhere. So hopefully you hear this message today. So the, the role of mother, she's called to protect and develop society. How? Society consists of people. A mother protects children right from the beginning of conception in the womb. Her, her body is created to protect and to nurture and develop that little one within. Women are called to knit life together within. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalm 139. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Okay, so mothers are the cornerstone of the home, right? And the home's the place where a person's soul begins his or her critical formation. And again, we're going back to, we're not just bodies. It's not just about providing for a child's a belly and putting food there and clothing on the back and shelter over the head. That's good. That's important. But the soul, what about the soul? Today there are many children that don't even know they have a soul. And that's a great tragedy. And so we have to focus on the formation. How does a mother form a child's soul? 
So the enemy obviously now is laboring relentlessly to persuade mothers to leave or abandon this role of motherhood or um, the care or love for their child to others. Meaning, oh, I'll get a babysitter or I'll put them in this place or I'll put them in that place. You know, sometimes you have to do that for a temporary period. But that shouldn't be the norm. Um, we, we can't escape uh, parenting because we want to live our, our career out. Um, you're missing the boat if that's the direction you're headed in your, in your uh, parenting. Because God's not going to ask you how big was your car or your house or how much money did you have in your bank account. He's going to ask you, how did you love me? Oh Lord, where did we see you? Hungry or naked or poor? Where did we see you? Thirsty. He says, what you did to the least of my little ones, you did to me. And he's going to start with our family. He's going to say, how did you love your child? How did you love your husband or your wife? How did you love your aunt, your uncle, your cousins? How did you love your co-workers? Because that's Jesus. See, if you, if you try to separate your relationship with God from the rest of the people around you, then you're missing the gospel message. The gospel message is meant to penetrate our hearts and challenge us to love Jesus living in our neighbor, living in our enemy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the call. So mothers are called to form the child's soul. And so this emotional and spiritual development of the child is, is critical um, because as that child grows, whatever that child has as an adult or as a, as a child is going to take into adulthood, right? So if we want the world to change again, we've got to develop virtues in the soul of the child as they grow. And that, that takes some, some hard work, right? So uh, mothers, again, scrutinize and very seriously discern whether or not God's, what God's calling you to do as far as regarding the formation of your child's soul. And the best that Jesus desires is to remain home with that child. Because that's your vocation. That's where beauty lies. That's where truth lies. Right? And so, again, many of us have a longing maybe to, to work outside of the home, to live, in, live a career-oriented life and to work professionally. Um, but our place in heaven um, is, is going to be given to us based on how we care for, as, as a wife or a mother, how you care for your husband and children. And so again, teaching Christ-like behaviors. So again, think of if mothers, the more mothers abandon their vocation to protect and develop the child, the child's soul, then the more darker our world's going to become. And so, what does Jesus have in mind for you? What, what does Jesus need from you in caring for the child he entrusted to you? And remember, no child is a mistake. No one's a mistake. God has a plan. If you have a child, God ordained and destined that child to be with you and to help and love that child into heaven. So, the noble task of mothering that God has willed for you. Um, the parenting and direction of your children uh, must be your first priority each day. You must see your child's needs before anything else. 
So if you're working in a job where it's not possible for you to do this, you must carefully consider whether or not the Lord wishes you to remain in that job. So you will know yourself if you are working from necessity or working from a desire to acquire more worldly possessions. And again, examining very simply and briefly. So think about it. If you are content with a simple life, your child will be content with a simple life. If you're content with the clothes you have, your child will be content with the clothes you have, the clothes he or she has, right? So you want to set a tone of thanksgiving. Be grateful for what God has given you. You want to set a tone of simplicity, right? Simple life. Jesus and Mary, think of, the, think of uh, the, how Jesus was born. In a, in, a, in a cave, in a manger with, with the animals. He was a poor. Joseph was poor. They were, they were exiled into Egypt. They, they were refugees. They didn't have a lot. But they had the most important gift ever. They had Jesus. And so, um, be grateful. Be grateful, people. And remember, reject the notion that fine clothes and homes make fine people. Um, fine clothes and fine homes don't make fine people. Holy households makes fine people. And that's what we need to strive for, right? Holy households. And you'll find peace in your home if you try to implement some of these concepts because uh, you have all of heaven to assist you. Call on all of the saints. Call on the angels. Call on the heavenly army. Don't try to do this yourself because you're not going to be able to do it. But call on all the angels and saints. Call on the Blessed Mother. Call on St. Joseph's. Call on all of the mothers and fathers that have gone before us that are in heaven. Call upon them to intercede and pray for you. These are our brothers and sisters who are with us in spirit. So, uh, again, our children, some of your children, I'm sure, have been exposed to uh, different worldly ideas, right? And we'll speak more about that um, next time. Um, and for today, just concentrate on that simplicity in your home. Simplicity. So when you perform your tasks as a mother in love, there's great graces that can be obtained for you and your family. Remember, the, the hard work that's involved in mothering, that taking up that cross, living that cross, living Christ crucified, that hard work merits grace because of your baptism, right? When you're baptized, you are configured to Christ. So it's no longer you who live, as Paul says, it's Christ who lives in you. So if I hurt you, I'm hurting Christ. If you hurt me, you're hurting Christ. So if you understand that, then that means we can share in the redemptive work of Christ. Christ redeemed us all, but He redeemed us, He sent us the Spirit so that we can now participate in His saving work. And you're called to help bring your children to salvation by hard work, by labors of love. And at the Mass, in the Holy Mass, you hear the priest say the words, this is my body given up for you. Jesus is the priest. You hear Jesus say, this is my blood poured out for you. So we live the Mass. We live the Eucharist. We spend ourselves in our, through our vocation. And so again, great graces are available Great graces are obtainable for you and your family. Um, so cleaning your cleaning the floor, 
becomes a divine service for the Lord God. Washing your dishes, uh, cleaning your children's clothes, and the hundred of other domestic chores you do at home. These things are, have redemptive power to bring salvation to your home, to your children that you perform daily. And they're hidden, right? A lot of people don't even see them. These are hidden things that happen to you in your day-to-day life. And so, be simple. Simple housewife. Simple mother. There's nothing threatening about that. That's what God desires for you as a woman. To love that child. And if you're single, if you're a woman, you're still called to be a mother to all those God puts in your daily life. And so another thought here is um, uh, working on, as a mother, you you see each child individually, right? And And you wonder where they fit in the sense of helping them to understand where their strengths are in God's plan. What's their gifts? You affirm those gifts. You encourage those gifts. You praise those gifts in the name of Jesus. Like they have gifts. So when again, you want to rear your children up aware that God has blessed them with gifts. And then you want to look for, again, searching for character flaws. Not to be critical and judgmental of your children. You never want to uh, uh, shame them in public or or criticize them. But you want to lovingly, again, uh, raise them up to be godly women or godly men with godly character. So what are some of those character flaws that might cause them hardship in their lives in the near future? And so as a parent, it's a huge part is to, again, build on the strengths and then look at the character flaws and begin to give them creative ways um, of overcoming those, of conquering those flaws in the name of Jesus. So, this again, now we're turning to how grace works with nature. So you want to teach them, you know, how to pray, obviously, right? How to turn to the Lord, call on the name of the Lord, invite the Lord into those areas of, of weakness, of brokenness, right? Where Paul says, my power... God says to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Think about that. It's powerful. My power is made perfect in your weakness, the Lord says to you. Because that's where you need saved. If you didn't have any weaknesses, you must be in heaven. You must be perfect. So we all have our weaknesses. and Not to be ashamed of it. Just who claims our humble need for a Savior. So acts of control... Mortification, meaning putting to death selfishness. Um, you know, today in our world, um, I think we've come to a place at times where if you encourage people to, to live a chaste, holy life, you are considered um, in the way of my reckless, um, hedonistic, indulgent lifestyle. You know, who are you to tell me I can't do this? Or who are you to tell me I can't do that? We've got to make a distinction. We love all people, but we do not love all behaviors. Any behavior that contradicts human nature, that goes against my masculinity or femininity, is going to be a behavior that is unbehooving of the human person, that's going to be destructive to them personally and communally. So we've got to hold each other accountable in Christ, not being critical and harsh and judgmental in the sense of judging the person, but we got to make judgments on behaviors. If you didn't do that as a parent, your children would be a mess. They would be crazy. Like imagine a teacher or a coach never disciplining 
or challenging the players or the students in the classroom. Or, or police officers never laying down the law in the tra on, on the roads. There'd be wrecks everywhere. There, there's no winning team that doesn't have a coach that's a great leader or no great classroom that has a teacher that doesn't have a teacher that's a, that's a great leader. So the Lord's a teacher and he gave us a church with a magisterium to teach us the truth because see, we're too weak to just pick up our Bible and then we're going to interpret it ourselves. We're going to make sense of it ourselves. Some of the Bible you can do that with because, you know, you have the help of the Holy Spirit, you have the church. It's, it's not uh, rocket science. It's, it's pretty simple, right? But there's a lot of times when we're struggling with an area of sin where we want to find somebody or someone that will justify our sinful behavior. And so we take the Bible out of context. Meaning we don't read it, you know, if I read John 6, uh, verse 4, and I pull it out of John 6, I'm not going to understand it. So I've got to read John 6, 4 in the context of chapter 6 of John, and I've got to read chapter 6 of John in the context of the whole book of John, and I've got to read the whole book of John in the context of the whole New Testament, and I've got to read the whole New Testament in the context of the Old Testament, and I've got to read the whole Bible in the context of the church's holy tradition, which was passed on to us from the early church. And you see how that works, right? So, so we got to read things in context. So we never want to uh, forget this important role that mothers have in the formation of their children. So if a troublesome behavior is encouraged or allowed in a child's life, um, that child's going to practice that same behavior as an adult. So we could save our children a lot of heartache and a lot of pain if we would learn to coach them, if you will teach them, parent them, love them here and now. And that's not always fun, as you know, because a lot of parents today want to be their children's friends, not their children's parents. And so that's a, that's a self-esteem problem, right? i got to know the Lord loves me, so I'm not afraid that if my kids don't like me, um, I'm not going to fall apart. So I have to be strong in my identity in Christ so that when I discipline my children and I am strong and I follow through with that discipline, I don't say, well, I don't want my kids not to like me, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let them watch all the garbage on TV they're watching. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let them do with stuff with their friends that everyone else is letting them do with their friends. It's like, really? You know, are you thinking about that child's soul? Is what that child's watching going to really help that child's soul? Is what that child, um, is, is the friends that child's hang out, his companions, his company, is it going to corrupt his or her moral life? You know? Oh, there's no right or wrong. Let's let Johnny or Susie discover whatever they want to decide is right for them or wrong for them. Who am I to impose anything on them? See, that's the attitude. That would be like me saying, um, there's no north, south, east, or west. Let's just drive around. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't have any intention of going anywhere. I'm just going to, I'm going to make up north, south, east, and west. I'll make up my own directions. That person is lost. My brothers and sisters, it's time to come back, to refocus ourselves, to be justified in Christ. We need to be righteous, to be rightly aligned, to look at Him who alone is truth. So we've got to pray 
and ask God to bless all mothers, all women. And so we look here, um, you know, again, uh, you want to quietly and privately, in a very respectful way, sit a child down, right, and explain to them why what they're doing is harmful. Think about it. We, 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 whether it be a thought, a word, or an action. If I see someone speaking words, or thinking thoughts, obviously a word or an action comes from a thought that was being thunk. <laughs> so, we're thinking thoughts, and those thoughts become words or actions. So we got to sit a child down and say, okay, that goes against who you are as a person, of your great dignity as a follower of Jesus. That kind of speaking or acting isn't becoming of someone that is on their way to heaven. It's not becoming of somebody that's called to be a saint. Somebody that's, that's called to be great in this world. Called to give glory to Almighty God. Called to bring life, love, and hope into the world. Someone that has self-mastery, self-control. And you know, you, you obviously could bring it down to the child's way of understanding. But it's not, it's not hard, right? I mean, you could use the example of, of a football game and the rules in a football game. A game of a football that has no rules ultimately isn't really football, right? Every game has its rules and that's what basically protects the game from losing its, its identity as football is football because football has these rules, right? That's good. So, you want to privately and quietly just address your children, explain why behavior is wrong. And um, we teach our kids again to clean our clean their bodies and, and feed their bodies. But you gotta teach your children how to clean their souls and feed their souls. Because we have a body and a soul. Okay? And how do we also maintain and protect our bodies when they're sick? When we, are we eating the right things? What are we putting in our bodies? Are we really helping ourselves become the best version of ourselves? Um, um, same thing with the soul. How are we maintaining and protecting our souls? Um, so, this is a great responsibility if you think about it. Think of how much is involved and how much work and energy and effort is needed to be spent on the formation of an eternal immortal soul. This is a soul that will live for eternity. In heaven or hell. And that based on basically um, the greater formation that child receives, the greater chance they're going to have of living a Christ life. The less formation they have, the less chances they're going to have of leading a Christ life. And as you and I know, um, when that child becomes a teenager, it's going to be so much harder to form him or her because of the nature of the beast, if you will. <laughs> so, Jesus wants to help you as a mom. Our dear mother Mary, our lady, she raised Jesus. She wants to help you. And so ask her, pray to her often, pray to the Lord, ask the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, talk to them. And so, when a family prays, there are invisible graces that come into that family um, during family prayer. Um, those graces um, 
provide unseen ties. They're tying that family together, holding them closer during difficult trials that will inevitably come. So, you know, when you, when you encourage your children to pray, you gather them together, you initiate that. And you're going to get pushback from the kids. I mean, I did it, you did it, I'm sure. We all, no, children, we, we, we teach them how to basically have to always be stimulated. Put them in front of the TV. That's basically taught children how to um, never be quiet. And then we wonder why we have mental and psychological problems in our children. Um, a lot of the ADD today is not you know, a chemical problem. It's putting children from a very early age in front of a television that flashes a zillion scenes a second, and their minds don't know how to stop because we actually start forming their minds that way. So, or I should say deforming their minds by putting in front of this box that often doesn't have much good coming out of it. You know, what happened to sitting around and talking as a family? You know, have a room where there's no TV. Have rules where you turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. No games today. We're going to have family time. And if you do that, the kids will start to experience, taste and see the goodness of the Lord's plan. It takes time, right? So, when you attempt to introduce family prayer um, to those children who have not prayed in the past or um, those children who've never been said no to regarding material things, you're going to get anger. You're going to get pushback. You're going to get resistance. And it will pass. It's going to pass. Your mom, your dad, you are the parent, right? So your child will object, obviously, in, of being forced to pray and having material things maybe taken away from them. But be brave, mothers. Be brave, fathers. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. You know, that's the spirit of the world, again, the spirit of the world is robbing families of the beauty of what a family could be if we just was obedient to God and really gathered around and prayed and let God lead us, let God teach us. So be strong. And don't think for a moment that your decision needs to be based off of the anger, resistance that your child shows, right? Um, your child will come around if you're firm. Um, pray to Our Lady again. Pray to the Lord Jesus um, to help you uh, turn your household into a holy family, like the holy family of Nazareth. And that's how you're going to best serve the kingdom of God. So, the Lord hears your heart. He hears your prayer. So again, this is, this is all going to be a process. It's not going to be easy, right? So we want to set a calm example of holiness um, in your lives. And, and all is well. God will provide and God will take care of everything. So I want to just encourage you with some thoughts and reflection here on, on motherhood, on the family. And so may the Lord bless you abundantly, richly. May the Holy Spirit come down upon you and raise you up with a new life in Him. That you may leave the past and enter the future with Jesus. You may live in the present moment you may be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as a mom, a dad, as a child, as a holy family. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.